Welcome to the 27th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, the NBA Week in Review, and a look at the first and second round of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we'll start in the NBA, where the Trailblazers beat the Mavericks 125-119. Patrick incorrectly picked the Mavericks in that game. The Warriors beat the Grizzlies 116-103. Patrick correctly picked the Warriors in that game. The 76ers beat the Knicks 101-100 in overtime, with Patrick correctly picking the 76ers in that game. And then the Suns beat the Lakers 111-94. Patrick incorrectly picked the Lakers, leaving Patrick 2-2 two two in his NBA basketball predictions for last week. Moving on to college basketball with action in the NCAA tournament. Florida beat Virginia Tech 75-70 in overtime. Patrick incorrectly picked Virginia Tech. Maryland beat UConn 63-54. Patrick incorrectly picked UConn. Wisconsin beat North Carolina 85-62. Patrick incorrectly picked North Carolina. And Loyola Chicago beat Georgia Tech 71-61. Patrick correctly picked Loyola Chicago. So despite doing really well overall in his brackets, he went 1-3 in these four college basketball predictions. Overall, Patrick was 3-5 in this weekend's predictions. That brings him to 77-44 overall this season. A 636 winning percentage. Patrick, what are your thoughts? Uh, unfortunate loss with the Lakers not having LeBron because when I predicted that, they hadn't even played the Hawks, which was the game he got injured in. And then it even broke even later that he was actually, that he has a high ankle sprain. Uh, hopes to the fact that he recovers, uh, but unfortunately kind of ruined that prediction there. Uh, the other ones I think were all pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um... The Trailblazers and Mavericks actually split a series, and I picked the game that the Trailblazers won to pick the Mavericks, and then actually the Warriors did the same thing. Um, in terms of the college basketball ones, yeah, Virginia Tech really had a chance in that game. Obviously, they pushed it to overtime. They were up for most of the game. Really surprised Florida won that game. Um, Maryland beating U- UConn is really funny because I definitely had Maryland in my personal bracket, and I picked because I have a little bit of Big Ten bias. Um, but in my objective picks, which is what I wanted to make sure my my weekend predictions were consistent with, I had UConn, so I had to kind of stick with that. Same thing with Wisconsin and North Carolina, actually. And then the other two I was the same on. So overall, not too upset, because still doing pretty well in, that, in those brackets. Yeah, I, when I saw these results, I was a little surprised, because I know who you picked most of the time in terms of... Uh... In terms of your brackets. All right, well, Although my objective bracket is actually, we'll get to this later too, but my objective bracket is doing nowhere near as well as my subjective bracket, which could say say one thing or another, but yeah. All right. Well, uh, still, great winning percentage overall in the season, and again, you're picking tough games and kind of picking them a couple days in advance, whereas maybe some circumstances like LeBron, I mean, I don't think you would have picked the Lakers if you knew LeBron was going to be gone. but Definitely not. <laughs> uh, since we're talking about basketball picks here, that's the way the ball bounces. Speaking of a bouncing ball... Let's move over to the recap of the NBA's week of action and start with your most impressive team to the week. I gave my most impressive team to the Atlanta Hawks. They're on an eight-game winning streak. This week they had wins over the Rockets, Thunder, and Lakers, although they did knock LeBron out of that game. So really two unimpressive teams and then a win over the Lakers. But you know what? A win is a win, and three of them and eight in a row are def- is definitely very, very uh, important for that team. 
All right, who's uh, number two top team of the week for you in the NBA? Gave it to the Milwaukee Bucks for a six-game winning streak that they are on. They went 3-0 this week. They beat the Wizards, the Spurs, and they beat the 76ers despite, I think, what their, what was their, at least going into halftime and at the end of regulation, their worst shooting performance in or second worst in the Giannis era, which is <laughs> crazy that they would end up scraping out a win, and they did. And finally, your third best team of the NBA last week. I gave it to the San Antonio Spurs. They beat the Pistons, the Bulls, and the Cavaliers, and only lost to the Bucks. Overall, this is something that the West teams that are on the fringe of the playoffs need to do is sweep all these games against lower East teams and even lower lower and uh, West teams. Uh, and then, you know, they played the Bucks tough, but obviously you'd like to come out with the win, but they didn't. But I would still say pretty impressive week from San Antonio. All right, and on the flip side of the coin, your most disappointing teams of the week, starting with number one, who may have already locked down most disappointing team of the year. Yeah, that's the Houston Rockets going to the uh, going uh, moving within the state of Texas. <laughs> uh, Twenty game losing streak. They obviously had no wins. <laughs> oh and four this week. Lost to the Hawks, the Warriors, the Pistons, and the Thunder. These are also not great teams that they're losing to. They really choked the game against the Thunder. It was a two point game. Um, but. The Hawks and the Warriors are, are, are okay, but, you know, you'd like to see them win a few of these games at some point. Yeah, you don't want to be on the team that uh, that actually gets beat by the Rockets once that streak ends. It should end sometime, but uh, we'll see. Uh, what about number two? The Toronto Raptors. They are 0-3. They were 0-3 this week with an eight-game losing streak. Only reason they're not higher than the Rockets is because they played less games and therefore lost less. And they also only have an eight-game losing streak as opposed to a 20-game losing streak, although that's... Pretty awful considering that the Raptors have uh, much higher expectations. They lost to the Pistons, the Jazz, and the Cavaliers. Obviously, a lot of people get beat by the Jazz. That's not surprising. But they got to beat the Pistons and the Cavs if they want to be able to make the playoffs. They were really slipping down the standings. And your third most disappointing team of the week. I gave it to the Washington Wizards, who went 1-3 this week. They are 2-8 in their last 10 games. Uh, they only beat the Jazz this week. They lost to the Bucks, the Kings, and the Nets. Overall, very hard schedule, although they should have beat, beaten the Kings uh, probably the way they've been playing. Uh, they played the Nets close. They beat the Jazz, which is good. But at the same time, this is not what you're supposed to be doing if you're supposed to make the playoffs in the same way that the Raptors need to be winning too. All right, and let's end it on a positive note as always. Your player of the week. I gave it to Giannis Antetokounmpo on the Milwaukee Bucks. He averaged 29.7 points per game this this week, 12.7 rebounds, 10.0 assists, uh, and also he shot 33.3% from the three-point line and 81% from the free throw line. Now, this is really important for Giannis because his, his ability to turn into not just a regular season MVP uh, kind of a player and more of a clutch player in the playoffs is going to rely on free throw shooting, especially because... Towards the end of games, teams do not care if their role players foul out of games. They will definitely put players on him to foul him, to send him to the line. But if, he's, if he keeps up 80% for the rest of the second half, they're not going to be able to do that. And also, if he keeps shooting 33.3% from the three-point line, if he gets that number a little bit up in the rest of... In the rest of the half, you can't have your teams playing five feet off of him from the line. That It's not going to be possible anymore, which teams have been doing for the last two years so that they can wall up in the post. They just leave him to shoot, and most of the time he misses. 
making one out of three is almost good enough that you can get draw people out more. I'd say if he got to like a 35, 37% number, that was that would be when you'd be really drawing the defenders out. Which then makes him more dangerous to the hoop, and if he's yeah. converting free throws, and he can make his, way to and, make three And he can plays. also make his moves to get to the yeah. lane easier because they're not sitting 10 feet back in the lane. All right, well, that wraps up our recap of last week's NBA action. Let's turn to an in-depth review of the first weekend's action in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. The first two rounds of action in the tournament just concluded, and the first four days of action certainly lived up to their March Madness moniker. Um, Let's take a look back at the action without going game by game, and we can all look up those scores. Patrick, let's just hit some highlights here. Let's start with the first round. Give me some of the biggest surprises slash bracket busters from the first round action. I think you have to start with Ohio being Virginia, and I mean... You could also say maybe UCSB losing to Creighton because a lot of people had one or two of those upsets actually happening. I think in my alternate bracket, I had both of them winning. And in my main bracket, I had uh, just just UCSB winning. And in my 4th and 24 bracket, I also think I had just Ohio winning. Not sure, not quite sure, but something like that. Um, overall, though, I think Ohio winning was a bigger bracket buster per se because... Even if you had Virginia and Creighton winning, I think most people had Virginia winning against Creighton um, because, you know, defending champions, of course you're going to have them winning. Uh, the next one would be, it's very obvious, it's Abilene Christian moving down to the next region. Um, it, this game, this this really was a bracket buster. Um, a lot of people think with, with how Michigan was without Isaiah Livers in the Big Ten tournament, a lot of people were thinking... You got to look at Texas or you got to look at Alabama as a Final Four team. Whoever made it to the Elite Eight was maybe it was supposed to have a chance to beat Michigan or definitely FSU if they were able to get there past Michigan. So Texas losing this early was a huge surprise. Um, the next one I would go to is North Texas because, again, a lot of people had Winthrop beating Virginia or Villanova, um, but then Purdue beating North Texas and then Purdue moving on to the Sweet 16. I certainly did. But that did not happen. North Texas shut that down very, very early. Also, Villanova did won, did win, although that was not much of a surprise. Um, and, I mean, this is the most obvious one. Oral Roberts. Yeah. Um, they're not supposed to beat Ohio State. But credit to them. Their two-man game of Acemas and uh, O'Banner did, I guess, better than Liddell and Washington, who have typically carried Ohio State with their scoring. Uh, it was really just star power from them. I think they combined for somewhat something near 80% of the points in that game. Uh, the the greatest free throw shooting team of all time heading into the tournament, too, which is crazy. Uh, and then Oregon State is, I think, the last one that you could call a bracket buster. Now, yes, I left out Syracuse. I left out UCLA. I left out Maryland. But I, I feel like an, enough people at least thought those upsets were fathomable or pretty much had those upsets booked in the in the more um, informed world of college basketball fans. So Oregon State, though, beating Tennessee was definitely the biggest surprise, um, other than, obviously, Oral Roberts and North Texas, I would say, and Abilene Christian. Probably, probably the least of, the, of a surprise out of all of them, but I think most people thought that Oregon State went on a great run in a bad conference, although if you look at how the pac 12s doing, it's proven that they went on an amazing run in a great conference, and they did not get lucky to get there they beat good teams who are playing well. They are just playing supremely well. Yeah, I agree with you, especially what you're saying about Oregon State. It does it does show you, but sometimes tournament uh, conference tournament 
momentum carries over. In their case, it did. In Georgetown's case, it didn't. It absolutely did not. Uh, Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State, I think that's the biggest bracket buster just because so many people thought they were like the they were one of the fancy picks to to upset a number one seed. I didn't. A lot of people, a lot of people did not did not thought if they were going to throw away a one seed or throw away two of them, it's got to be Baylor or Michigan before yeah. you throw away Gonzaga, obviously, or Illinois. But, but. but Ohio State in that game kind of played the way Ohio State's been playing at the end of the season, which is inconsistent and not closing out games. Well, I wouldn't say it's inconsistent. They've been, consistency, the the lo- they've been yeah. consistently losing or barely scraping by against teams that they should be beating. So. Yeah, they were, they've been dodging bullets the last few weeks, and uh, it finally came up to caught, caught them. All right, well, let's go to the other side of the, the table, and who are your most impressive teams in the first round? Uh, I think the most impressive was UCLA with their win over BYU. Also, after their, if you extend it a little bit further back, their win over Michigan State was really gritty. They were down, I think, 14 at some point, even in the second half. This is in the play-in game. And and brought it back to overtime and then eventually beat Michigan State. And then against BYU, they just shut them down. I mean, if you look at how Gonzaga played against BYU in the West Coast Conference Tournament— if you think that if you if you saw those two results and that was all you saw of this entire season, you would think UCLA is worlds better than Gonzaga, especially on defense, because BYU I think scored ninety points against Gonzaga, and here and here UCLA is holding them to sixty two points in a tournament game. They looked phenomenal in that game. Um, the next one I would move on to is Villanova because I thought especially their defense and their lack of turnovers, frankly. Was very was a very very important sign and a telling one for the next round even, uh, because they're playing without their point guard and I think the biggest thing that you lose when you lose an older leader of the team and your point guard is you lose a lot of the consistency. You start to turn the ball over a lot. Maybe you lack you lack some uh, defensive intensity at times. But they really didn't show either of those things. Uh, the next one I would go to is Arkansas. And it might sound crazy, but. Look, Colgate had them beat in the fir- in the first half. I would say I've te- I probably texted at least three people, and we were all like, "Oh yeah, Colgate, Colgate's gonna win this." But Arkansas came storming back after being down by a lot, and not only did they do it in the first half, where they were down I think thirteen, and then brought it to a tie at the half, or down by three, or maybe up by three. But then Colgate came out on a 9-0 run to answer to start the second half, and Arkansas came back again and had a huge answer, and then eventually, obviously, won 85-68. Looked like a blowout, but if you watch that game on paper, it looked like they were going to lose for a majority of the game. Yeah. Um, and the last team I would go to is Syracuse because, oh my god, they're just bombing threes. I mean, they just could not miss this weekend. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about their second round game later, but... In this game, Buddy Beheim was just on fire. I mean, the whole team was, frankly. But 78 points at Syracuse's pace, the, play, the pace that them and San Diego State play at, is, frankly, ridiculous. Because if they played at Gonzaga's place and at Gonzaga's pace and shot this well, they'd be scoring 120. <laughs> um, and also, San Diego State was supposed to be a really strong defensive team, too. And Syracuse just dismantled them. Yeah, the other big surprise in the first round was the fact that we had a forfeit game. Um, we had VCU have to forfeit their game a couple hours before their matchup with Oregon. We'll talk about that Oregon team probably in a little bit. Uh, caused that forfeit. And then uh, teams, while we're on the COVID topic, UVA that you mentioned, people wondered how they would play. Kind of came out flat. Came out flat. Kansas came out flat against Eastern Washington, managed to claw back in to win the game. Uh, we'll get to their second round where they looked like they were just completely out of gas. Um, any any other comments on the first round before we move to second round action? All right, well let's let's do that same thing. I like this theme. Let's start with the second round. Your biggest surprises, uh, bracket busters, whatever you may want to call them. Easy, 
Oregon. Uh, this is simple. There is no way that you can tell me that you had a, that you had Oregon and USC. Spoiler a little bit. Uh, playing each other in the Sweet 16. There's no way anybody thought that was going to happen. Um, <laughs> I mean, Luca Garza shot 90% today and scored 36 points. And Oregon won by 15 they ran, points. They ran him out of the gym. They absolutely crushed them while letting a big man score 40 points in a tournament game. It is ridiculous how well they shot the ball. And I, I just say it's surprising because if you had told me Luca Garza was 18 of 20 with 36 points, I would have said Iowa is a national championship contender now. <laughs> they might be able to beat Gonzaga. Um, but enough about Oregon. Moving all, moving back to the Pac-12, but a little bit farther down the coast, uh, UCLA. Look, I'm not I, I'm not saying that they busted anybody's bracket by beating Abilene Christian because nobody would have had them uh, in the second round to begin with. But I think their run in general, I think, again, as I said, a lot of teams had Texas in the Sweet 16. So UCLA being the one to make it into that matchup against Alabama is very, very surprising. Uh, Oral Roberts beating Florida. I thought that might have been a one-time thing where they beat Ohio State and now they have this kind of a letdown game. But they're playing well. They are really playing well. Um, I don't know if they have a chance to beat Arkansas, but frankly, they played them earlier in the season and it was, I think, only a 9 or 11-ish point game. So if they're playing better right now and Max Aismas in that game even only had 11 points even though he averages 26 on the season... So if he comes out and plays better, they, they're probably they have a good chance to beat Arkansas. Um, this one, this one's obvious. Loyola Chicago, come on, nobody, nobody. Well, I was going to say most impressive teams too. That I was yeah, on but that list. Loyola Chicago, nobody had them beating Illinois. Uh, I had Illinois in the championship game. I had Illinois actually winning my championship game in my objective bracket. Um, <laughs> this game was crazy. Loyola Chicago dominated Illinois, led wire to wire. They were the third team, I think it is, that was a double digit or an eight seed to beat a one uh, by double digits, which is insane. And really, they beat them by 13. But when you have a game where it's 71 to 58, 13 points is a lot of points in that kind of a game. And then you got to go to Oregon State for beating Tennessee and Oklahoma State, yep. who also, by the way, same bracket, now those two play each other. Uh, a lot of people would say that Oklahoma State and Tennessee were good enough to challenge Illinois if they were playing well, and that Illinois was the second best or even best team in the country. So when you consider that, and Oregon State beat the two teams that were supposed to have a chance to beat them, that is really, really impressive. I, I They played great defense, too, on Cade Cunningham, to be quite honest. Uh, he got his points, but he took a lot of shots to get there. It was an ugly game, and it was a very ugly game, especially ugly at offici- the end of the strat, at the end of the at the end of the second half too. Ugly officiated game too. Yeah, and uh, the last team is Syracuse because West Virginia made a few runs at this game. You said this game was over, and then West Virginia <laughs> made a fifteen to five run yeah. at the end of the half to cut it to six. They took the lead late in the second half, and Syracuse just kept battling. They just kept on battling. They played great defense. Uh, West Virginia is supposed to be a team that could put up a bunch of points on really anybody that's not in the Big 12 who hasn't already dealt with them before and scouted them before. So I was very surprised with Syracuse. Biggest, also huge bracket buster, having them beat West Virginia. There was almost another one uh, where we were about to declare the game over. 
uh, right below that that same bracket with um, with Rutgers and Houston. Rutgers had an alley oop dunk that they should have made. That I believe they they missed the dunk and then Houston went down and did they score two or three? It was either, I think it was a five point. I think they swing. got fouled. Yeah, it was a five point swing in that game and Rutgers ends up losing by three. That would have been another huge bracket buster because. Houston's a very not not just trendy but a very capable team. I would say seed. I would Rutgers say had them on the ropes. I would say also them being in Illinois' bracket probably makes it a little bit less of a bracket buster because I think most people would have had Illinois over Houston, but it was still huge and uh, I bet a lot of people. I mean, I think most a majority of people, a slight majority, had Clemson over Rutgers to begin with, and <laughs> again I'll say it again, nobody had them beating Houston. Yeah, so. no, that they 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 almost had that game. Um, unfortunately, they didn't make it, didn't make the play, and Houston t- seized the momentum and moved on. Speaking of moving on, let's go to your most impressive teams of the second round. USC, USC, USC. Yeah. Um, how much did they beat Kansas by? 34? Uh, yeah, uh, 34 points. over before halftime. It, 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 it could have been it could have been brought back but the way USC was playing it wasn't gonna um, if they if they started to slump down a little bit in the second half I think Kansas could have taken it back uh, but they didn't shoot well enough at all and you know it's been a constant thing with this team that they just don't have the guy they don't have the Devon Dotson they don't have anybody to just take over the game and manufacture points when you need it the most uh, but USC just absolutely destroyed Kansas. Uh, Drake also going back to the first round, I think had a point where they missed 20 straight shots against USC. Yeah. I, not, not, not saying that that was all defense, but that definitely had something to do with it. Cause you don't miss 20, you don't miss 20 shots in a row if they're all open, though. I will say maybe four or five of them should have been, should have been made and were open. Uh, but look, USC absolutely destroyed Kansas, a team that I think many had maybe, maybe challenging Iowa, uh, probably not getting past Gonzaga. But at least in the Sweet 16, uh, the next team is Michigan, because a lot, a lot of people thought that that matchup with LSU, Michigan this whole year has had a problem when uh, the two guard Eli Brooks has to guard a bigger guard. He's a great on-ball defender, but actually graded as a top five defender in the Big Ten. But he struggles because he's a little bit shorter. I think he's six feet, six one. He struggles having to guard big guards. Michigan also has a 5'11 yeah, point Mike guard. Smith. And LSU plays a lineup that is all in between 6'4 and 6'9, which meant that they also had a faster big man to kind of drag Hunter Dickinson at 7'1 out. So Michigan was too short in the guard play and too long on the center play. But somehow they pulled out the win. Uh, game of runs, really. Just a crazy overall game. Most entertaining game. Easily. Uh, Michigan... If you thought the Michigan-Ohio State game was the game of the year, they might have just won up them, themselves on game of the year there. Um, and credit to LSU for really giving Michigan their best shot. LSU deserves a lot of credit for how they played at the end of the season. Although if they had played like that all year, how they played against Alabama and how they played against Michigan, maybe they wouldn't have been an eight seed and maybe they could have been in the Sweet 16 themselves. All right. Let's move to um, you know you had another 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 bracket. I'm sorry, we forgot about the other bracket. So Arkansas was also yeah, very impressive in their win over Texas Tech. Uh, that uh, a lot of I think Texas Tech was actually favored going into the game, and most sixes aren't favored over threes. Uh, USC was, but I think when you do beat the six seed and they were supposed to beat you, that's a great that's a great sign. Arkansas, a lot of people said. 
a lot of people, way too many people, I should say, had Colgate beating Arkansas, and definitely a lot of people had Texas Tech being beating Arkansas. I'm not absolving this, uh, absolving myself from this at all. I probably had the same thing, but they were very impressive. Uh, and then Loyola, Chicago, Oregon State, and Syracuse. I talked about them before as uh, biggest surprises, so I'm not going to talk about them being impressive because I did talk about how impressive those wins were. But I also have to throw them in the category too. Interestingly enough, everybody was saying how the two best conferences this year were the Big Ten and the Big Twelve. Both those schools only have one team left. They're two one seeds. Just realized that looking at the bracket. And I knew that about the Big Ten, but the Big Twelve doesn't have anybody left either, which somebody some people say that these two conferences they beat each other up all season. Others say they're used to more loosely officiated games. What are your thoughts? Um I think the biggest thing for both of these conferences was that was that they had ridiculous upsets in the first round. Uh, Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts and Texas losing to Abilene Christian kind of destroyed the chances. You could even go as far to say Purdue losing to North Texas was a big one. Uh, and then, you know, West Virginia lost a tough one to a hot team. Oklahoma State lost a tough one to a hot team. Texas Tech lost one that they... Look, don't put it on Texas Tech's shoulders. They weren't supposed to win the right. game. But they, frankly, came the closest to doing it. So... I think it was a little surprising, especially because, at least in the Big Ten, most of the teams that got eliminated were lower seeds. I mean, two ten seeds losing is not really right. something that's awful. But, you know, Illinois losing was the big one, and Ohio State, obviously. Uh, but I think the Big 12, considering that all their teams were higher seeds with the exclusion of Oklahoma, was very, very surprising that they lost out on every team except for Baylor. Yeah, they had, the Big Ten had a ton of teams in the tournament. They were dispersed all the way down through a play-in game, whereas... Right. Big 12 was very... Two tens, an 11, two, two, two ones, and then a two. Yeah, yeah it's crazy everywhere. Out. Basically, high at the, packed at the top and packed kind of down at the 9, 10, 11 line, yeah. whereas the Big 12 was all high-tiered high, high tiered seed, seeded yeah. teams. The lowest, was the lowest-seeded team a six seed? It was Oklahoma as an eight. Oh, yeah. Oklahoma as an eight, that's right. And they, they made even, though they, even though they lost four straight at the end of the season. The other thing I so. would say is don't, under, uh, don't underestimate the impact of the COVID... Uh, isolation and t- two key players not being able to practice on Kansas, how fresh their legs were, their conditioning. Yep. Yep. Uh, I, again, USC, I'm not saying that that, that made up for 30-whatever points the game was. Probably not. I stopped watching when it was 30 points with four minutes left. Although I would say the biggest thing about Kansas is when USC was playing their zone, Kansas looked, I would use the word, disjointed. And I would say how you get disjointed, well, you miss a starter for the Big 12 tournament, and then he comes back. And then you miss another starter for the first round game, and then he comes back, and you have them playing together, and they're kind of, and it, it just, it looked out of sync, is what it looked like. So I think that was definitely Kansas' issue. Um, I don't know if they would have won if they were fully full strength and practicing normally throughout, but I think it would have been much closer. I agree. So uh, we talked about Oral Roberts, the 15 seed who beat number two seeded Ohio State, and then seven seeded Florida getting to the Sweet 16. So. Of the other non well, the non Oral Roberts double digit seeds, who do you think is the most surprising double digit seed to be in the Sweet Sixteen? Oregon State, because their path was easily the hardest. Uh, beating the t- beating Tennessee and Oklahoma State, who I would say not even are just fives and four seeds, but I would say that in that bracket was probably the least picked upsets out of all of them. I think maybe with the exception of Florida State. No, these teams were the, the the biggest favorites to win their first-round games, Tennessee and Oklahoma State, and to go farther than that. Um, a lot of people had Creighton and Virginia and Villanova and even Colorado because some people like Georgetown losing 
So the fact that they beat the ones that were not supposed to lose is the craziest thing. They had the hardest path by far. Well, and they had the path to get into the tournament. They had to... Right. How many in a row? So they've won six in a row? Did they have to win four in a row in the Pac-12 championship? I think I it was four in a row, yeah. And they had no chance of being in. They had to win the Pac-12 yep. tournament. Then they had to, to beat um, a five seed, and then they had to beat a four seed. I agree with you. The next one... And also who play different, completely different styles, too, because Tennessee likes to use length and defense to beat you, and Oklahoma State likes to use speed and offense to beat you. So they couldn't have played two more polar opposite teams, and they still found a way to win. And then, and if you had to ask me, in addition to Oregon State, since you already claimed that, I'd say UCLA, just because of what you mentioned. UCLA looked like they were going to lose to Michigan State in the play-in game. Um, but they managed to get there. Although I will say the reason why I didn't mention them is because they 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 didn't beat anybody in the second round. They had right. a really easy second easy round matchup. Well, yeah. that, that's that's a surprising path then. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. Although it seems like it happens every year. Uh, one of the teams in the playing gets to the Sweet Sixteen. Just seems that way. Some have made it to the Final Four. So who do you think is your least surprising double digit seed to be in the Sweet Sixteen? I think it's Syracuse. Uh, while they did have a more challenging path than UCLA's. Obviously, because UCLA beat uh, Abilene Christian, I would say if you're going from the straight up expectation from the beginning, uh, UCLA had to play in a first four game that they barely that they barely uh, won. So that's pretty surprising in the first place. Uh, and then also, it's surprising that Abilene Christian even popped up in their path. Um, Syracuse was not necessarily a favorite, but a very trendy pick to win their first round game against San Diego State. Mountain West did not show out well in this tournament, even though they had a great season. Uh, pretty much the antithesis of the Pac-12, actually. <laughs> um, but then I think the game over Syracuse, you know, it wasn't necessarily the easiest game, but a lot of people think Oklahoma State is better than West Virginia to begin with, which would make Oregon State or Oklahoma State is better than West Virginia. So Oregon State's path to begin with, would I, I, w- I would say, would be harder, too. Um, but Syracuse... Playing that easier path, I would say, very, very less surprising than the other ones. And you, in a previous podcast, picked them as your double-digit seed to make the Sweet 16, so I kind of teed that one up for you. All right, well, with so many upsets, including a one seed being knocked out uh, and two two two-seeds gone, everybody's brackets are busted. Most people's are, except if you went to Oral Roberts, I guess. Um, Based upon what you've seen and how the brackets are shaping up, who has the easiest remaining path to the Final Four? It ends and begins the same with the same team that always had the easiest path. It's Gonzaga. I mean, Michigan has has a two seed in front of them, has the winner of a two seed and a very hot 11 seed. Uh, and then Florida State, if they, if they have to get through Florida State to begin with, I would say only the one seeds can be even in consideration for the easiest path because the other ones have to beat teams who are significantly better than them. Uh Houston does have Syracuse, Oregon State, and Loyola Chicago. So they have an 11, a 12, and an 8. But Loyola Chicago has made the Final Four in their only tournament appearance in pretty much, what, the last 10 years or so. They actually have the best tournament record of all time, tied with Duke, best tournament win percentage. So that that's not a team to scoff at, whereas I would say Creighton, everybody thought, was very shaky to end the year. They barely escaped UCSB. On paper, Gonzaga has all the pieces to easily guard Creighton and completely outscore them. And then USC and Oregon, yeah, USC is hot, Oregon's hot, same thing. Uh, but six and seven seeds, look, they're they're not as talented as Gonzaga, and I just don't, I just don't think the matchups are gonna go the way of either of those teams. So I think that's easily the easiest path. Although Houston takes Houston's path takes a close second, 
because they do play an 11 seed rather than playing a 5 seed, and then they play the winner of an 8-12 rather than a 6-7. But then when you look at it, you also have to say, is relative to the team's talent, which I think Gonzaga is so much better than anybody in the region, and they were from the beginning, including even if it was Iowa and Kansas in there instead of USC and Oregon, that I actually think Houston is pretty similar in talent level to Syracuse. Loyola Chicago plays a similar style to them. So it, it, they their bracket is probably a slight bit harder just because they're not as talented than as Gonzaga. Yeah, I would... I originally wrote down Houston, but then I looked at what Gonzaga had, but I looked at Houston and I, I said, you know, whenever, it seems whenever a team gets to the Final Four, they dodge a bullet along the way. Right. And that maybe they've dodged that bullet, but I see Loyola Chicago standing there, and frankly, the gap, like like you've said, the gap between Houston and Loyola Chicago... Is smaller is, than the gap between Gonzaga and Creighton, or USC or... Let's just say, assume they get past Creighton, who I think is probably, was everybody thought was the weakest five seed yep. coming into the tournament, yep. so I'm ignoring that. Gonzaga's gonna get have their hands full with USC Oregon. They could pose some problems for them. So I, I, I but I, I agree with you ultimately. It's between those two. So on the flip side of that, um, who has the most difficult path to the Final Four? Same one as the, as the first as as I started with uh, when we talked about this a few podcasts ago. It's still Michigan because this is the least broken up bracket. It's chalk on their top. Half. Um, yeah, it's chalk on the top half and. Alabama is probably going to beat UCLA, and I would say that if if UCLA does beat Alabama, that they would have to play so they would have to play out of their minds to beat Alabama, and they'd have to play so well that I think if Michigan even gets there by beating Florida State, which that's even a question, um, that would be a team that would be super hard to face. That's the one that you don't want to face. That's just completely on a roll. And if Alabama's going to beat UCLA, they're probably going to need to shoot the ball well. And if they and if they do that for a weekend. That's what makes Alabama so volatile, but also one of the best teams in the tournament because if they get their shooting on, I mean, look, if they make it to the Final Four and they start making 50% of their threes, it's over. They are going to beat everybody. So I would say Michigan, hardest path still. I mean, Baylor Baylor has to play what is still a depleted Villanova team, right. which I would say is definitely a weaker opponent than Florida State. Um, and then also, there's a possibility that Oral Roberts beats Arkansas, and even if they don't, Baylor would be playing a three seed rather than a two seed. So, well, so I should have framed the question: Who has the most difficult path? Um, I should have said besides Oral Roberts because I think they actually Oral Roberts has the hardest path to follow. Oh form. yeah, but, of course. But yeah. uh, so that's it. let's play that game um, amongst the the lower seeded teams. Who has the most difficult path? I said Oral Roberts. Who the, the non ones or twos? Oregon State. Um, I think Loyola Chicago. Look, Oregon State only scored. Oregon State scored seventy against Tennessee. If you scored te- seventy against Tennessee playing at that pace, I think when Loy- when you play Loyola Chicago, you might end up scoring fifty like Illinois did. Um, so first they got to get through them, and then they got to go complete gear shift from slow paced defensive game to Houston, who's high flying, fast guard play transition it's complete opposites which i think which they already did have to deal with to be fr- to be fair with tennessee and oklahoma state so they're no stranger to it but i do think that that polar opposite style is there and also maybe you would just I- i'd have to throw in anybody who has to play gonzaga because yeah. gonzaga is just so good i know i, I would take ucla they got to go through alabama a two seed and then the best they can hope for is a four seed in florida state or they get a one seed in michigan they have a little bit of a gauntlet but Close runner-up for me for against Oregon State. I just think the way teams are playing right now, because I also think Alabama, look, we've said it. They, I mean, they take 41% of their points from the paint and 40% from three. If they, if they miss threes, 
anybody can walk over them that's in this tournament because they, I mean, frankly, it almost happened with Iona until they started making them in the second half. And then today you see them just absolutely blow out Maryland because they're making all of them. So I think if UCLA gets the right type of Alabama, they have an easy path. If they get the wrong type, it's over. What about Syracuse? Because they play such a strange style of defense to, to prepare for them. And if you've never faced it before and to have, if you only have one, if they can get past Houston and play either Loyola, Chicago, or Oregon State. On short notice, I would say I would pick Syracuse over Oregon State, but I think I'd still pick Loyola Chicago over Syracuse because Syracuse doesn't have a high-scoring output to begin with. And, I mean, look, Illinois. how good is Illinois? Well, and Loyola, Loyola Chicago, Chicago only... If the only, Loyola Chicago team that played Illinois shows up... Well, this is what they've been all year. If you look at it, I have a bracket. It's based on defensive efficiency. They are number one in the country at defensive efficiency. Wow. Number two is actually Alabama. Not so defensive efficiency, the way they ran their sets on offense and freed people up for easy easy jump shots with the screens, I mean, that was a clinic. I Yeah, they, they put on an absolute clinic. Um, I would also say, does Syracuse have a big man to guard Cameron Crutwig? And I don't think the answer is yes. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to have a lot of time to talk about this. One more topic for this week before uh, we wrap up the podcast and look forward to next week's podcast where we are going to get in-depth preview of the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Um, as we keep mentioning in our podcast, since 2002, Kent uh, only one champion in the NCAA men's basketball tournament wasn't in the top 20 in offensive and defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. This year, it meant it had to be Gonzaga, Michigan, or Houston, or Illinois, who's now gone. So with Illinois gone, do you still think it holds true to form this year? Does the national champion come from Gonzaga, Michigan, or Houston? Yes, I think it holds true, because I think... The only team, if I were to go, if I were to go and say it right now, I think the only team that won't be in the Final Four out of that 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 I think all three of them will make the Final Four. Um, and then I think you probably have Baylor. The one per, the one team that could break that is Baylor because Baylor for ninety nine percent of the season was in <laughs> the top both. twenty of both. But I guess it was it was a combination of Oklahoma State. Uh, scoring what eighty five on them in the Big Twelve cha- in the Big Twelve they tournament can, game they, yeah. that they slipped out because the margin for error in that there are a lot of good defensive teams in the country so their their efficiency after that game went way down because they played a slow pace and still gave up eighty they were in the top twenty for I swear every single day until that game so they would technically they are they are an easy candidate to break the mold um, and then I think also just how crazy this tournament's been. You might just see a bunch of upset teams in there. And I would like to mention, Alabama's number two in offense. Loyola Chicago is number one. Or Alabama's number two in defense. Loyola Chicago is number one in defense. And Alabama is barely outside the top 20 in offense, too. And look, they don't need to be efficient. They just need to make threes. So there is a high possibility probability that it gets broken, especially with Illinois out. I think with Illinois in, even seeing what I've seen, I, if Illinois was still in, I would still say it stays 100%. But this gives me some pause. But I will say, if I had to pick will it stay or not, I'm going to say it will because of Gonzaga. All right. Well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, March 16th, where, as we just mentioned, we will have an in-depth preview of the Sweet 16 of the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games that will be posted on Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4 T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.